Again, it's me, it's Range Anxiety. It's not Paul Hauson. Hello, babe. Hello, world. It's just me, Martin. And uh, I did it my way, was my Epicast 100 of season one. And I really figured that was going to be the last one. But, you know, by the end of that Epicast, I still thought we had a lot of stories left to tell. You know, there was a, a lot of stuff we were still doing and uh, still had to do and was left undone. And I got a tremendous email response and message response. My phone was going mental. You're not, you're not. Oh, you prick. I, oh, I just heard the end. Thank God. What else was I going to do? Well, I figured you could go and listen to some of the better podcasts uh, or podcasts that are out there in automotive. Maybe you're struggling to find them. I think they exist. Um, I had a good look at some of our analytics in my downtime and uh, found that, you know, uh, for automotive uh, podcasts in Australia, we're sitting around uh, 50 to 60 every week, but that includes internationals as well. So for Australian-made ones, yeah, we're kind of in, I figure, I haven't really looked at it that closely, but I figure we're in the top 10. So I suppose people like this, and people want to listen to this, and people want to listen to me rambling on about uh, cars and things, and yeah, we're going to do some rambling. And we're going to start Season 2, Epicast 1. I don't even know what I'm going to call it yet, but I suppose guess who's back. And thank you to Eminem, uh, because, you know, without me, that track is a fun track. And I think we're going to look forward to doing some more fun things in Season 2. So sit back, grab yourself a coffee. It's an early, cold Thursday morning here in Adelaide, South Australia, and I'm absolutely livid today. So that's good. People love it when I'm a bit controversial. What's pissed me off? Well, it's actually a staffing thing. I've got a, uh, we all know Gareth from previous Epicast, has got himself in the middle of a quarantine dilemma. Had to go traipsing around the country via New South Wales right when they decided to lock the borders for yet another COVID outbreak. Now, that's okay. He didn't do that on purpose. And, and, you know, I'm sure we'll live a couple of weeks without him. What that means is I've got to do some work. That's the hard thing. I do have a really good new guy now that's helping me, Lockie. Uh, he's a Subaru expert. Uh, he, he can't help that. And I'm sure we'll wean him off that. But he's going to... Uh, he's going to be helping me out and putting up with my general grumpiness. He's got a great laugh, has Lockie, so... <laughs> Let's see if I can knock that out of him within a week or so. But yep, it's all systems go. It's all systems go for Powertech tuning. We've got some massive projects coming up and some massive things to do. Most importantly, though, is that uh, we're going to start talking about uh, some drift cars. Yeah, that's right. King of the cable ties. Uh, one of my partners in Powertech tuning, he's a good driver, solid driver, um, drives a radical SR8. Danny and he's quick has decided that he wants to do a bit of slideways action and I think it's great because you know if, if you if you want to develop your driving skills 
it pays to know how to drive a car on the limit and drive sideways and you know control the car when it's in a big oversteer stance and i think he's pretty good at it already but he wants to go drifting so yeah that that takes me back doesn't it to when i used to be involved in such things and uh We've got the help of, of South Australia's one and only um, Corporal Christian Pickering on board because I know enough about drift to know that I'm pretty useless at it and I'm really out of touch with it. Like The game has moved on since the, the decade or so that I haven't really looked at it in any depth. And the cars are getting faster and better and, you know, they're all about getting some extreme grip going and, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool things now and you need big speeds, big entry speeds and, you know, like a CA18 powered S13 with a disco potato or an SR turbo on it and a power FC with some 550s really isn't going to cut it anymore and particularly not with what we do here at Powertech Tuning. You know, we do, we do a lot of um, LS-based stuff uh, we have done for years. You know, I was probably one of the pioneers of LS tuning right back in the day, um, back in 1998 when we first got our hands on a WH Statesman because you couldn't get a VTSS at that stage. So the first thing you could get a, a an LS1 in was a WH. There you go for all of you guys and girls that are into LSs now and don't actually know that. That there is the absolute truth. So yeah, we were figuring on building a uh, building an LS-powered car, and you know what? It's all too hard. There are that many good cars out there now that are for sale. The real trick in getting a drift car and and getting going in that scene is actually getting one that's already built, already done, but built to a standard and built to a level where you can just go out and just flay the thing and flay the tires and. You know, rather than building a car, drifting seems to me these days on advice from corporal is to get the right car and then just keep on fixing it should something go wrong with it. And, you know, uh, like an LS-based VE or something like that, uh, which seems to be quite a good chassis for for sliding, actually, from what I can see. The, the VE seems to be a really, really popular car. And, yeah, I... I we're going to go that way, and we're going to have this crazy LS drift car. I mean, why not? We've been winning roll racing for a long time, when, when we go, that is, and uh, we've been competitive with the drags over the years, and we lay down some really good circuit times, so why not get out there and do a bit of drifting? It'll take me back. I have already been onto one of our major suppliers, Repco, and ordered $62,000 worth of cable tyres, so that will be good and lots and lots of duct tape so that's something we look forward to and maybe all having a go at uh, at our excellent tracks that we have here for drifting particularly the, the new one at the bend motorsport park which as i've said before is a sensational facility that we're lucky to have but even the old malala she doesn't go too bad for a bit of slideways action you know um there are obviously going to be a lot of new terms around here too, like we'll be talking about doing backies into corners, you know, rather than reversing it in, rather than uh, looking for that perfect apex and the right line. So yeah, some exciting things ahead. And obviously we've got some big build projects going on as well. Um, we've got a, we're building like a pretty serious Corvette C7, um, bigger blower, camshaft, upgraded fuel system, that, that's a pretty cool thing. It's been absolutely horrific getting the parts for it out of the US because, you know, everything's just COVID, 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 COVID. 
like, what the hell? Just supply the parts, we're paid for them. And that's going to be really cool, like leaning on an LT4 and making some stuff happen. And then we're also doing a highly supercharged uh, dart alloy block into a HQ two-door that's ours. And, you know, we want to make a 1,000 of the tyres out of this thing. Mechanically supercharged. We don't have to turbocharge it. And, yeah, we want to make some really tough, cool numbers out of that just to show what we can do with the older stuff when we have to. Now, anybody that listens to my Epicasts knows that I'm not into old cars. Old cars are just old. If I want old, I just look in the mirror. Yeah, too true. Um, but, you know, it, it, you kind of got to spread your wings and broaden your horizons a, a little bit and just get on with it. One thing I have been looking at uh, a little bit lately, though, is the sheer popularity of, of that little Yaris, the GR, the little turbocharged three-cylinder thing. And, 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 you know, straight out of the box, straight off the bat, it seems to be quite a competitive little car. You know, it lays down some good times. It's everything probably the 86 should have been um, in some ways. You know, it's more rally-based than, than sports car-based. But it it is dropping some really, really impressive numbers. Like, it, it's more than a match for an Evo 10 stock-to-stock. In fact, I would say much quicker around a track. Um, modified, well, maybe that may not be the case because, again, if you listen back in Season 1, I like to be able to say that now, if you listen back in Season 1, we had that epicast of The Great Seal and people are just sort of learning how to get grips with modifying these things now. Like I was reading a uh, an online blog about the um, Yaris and there is now, because there is no way at the moment, there is no protocol to read and write the... Uh, factory ECU effectively uh, people are using plug and play style units on them, they, you know, there's a lot of like trickery uh, boxes out there like that you know, just up the boost or whatever and try and fool the sensors so you don't run into boost cut, there's a lot of that sort of crap going on and you know, there is a place for that um, Unichip have come out with something pretty cool that is sort of like a step above most of those sort of plug and play boxes this thing is a wire in but you know it grabs hold of all sorts of things like throttle and, and fuel system and and boost control and you know they're they're going from the 160 kilowatts at the wheels that these things make they reckon they can punch them up to about 200 which is pretty cool we, we yet to see though how the uh inbuilt torque management of the ecu responds to that so i'm pretty sure knowing mr toyota and the fact that these things are going to be thrashed on the track and, and warranted uh it's going to be quite hectic the torque management and engine protection side of things. However, Mark from Dynamotive Unichip Australia assures me that they've got this thing spot on. So that that's pretty cool. Step to the next level, though, and uh, you're talking about the Motec plug-and-play uh, direct injection system for them. And, yeah, that, that will be a game-changer. I don't know at what cost. You know, it's I, I haven't looked at how much they cost, but I imagine being a, a full, proper, you know, professional motorsports ECU, it, it's not going to be... A bargain or a giveaway. It's probably a bargain if you want to go fast, but it's the only way to do it right now. But yeah, I was looking at people that have gone down that route already and invested thousands into these allegedly initially cheap little cars. And you know, they're saying now we're finding the limits of the valve springs and now we've got to do this. And you know, now we've found the limits of the pistons. And of course, now the great seal is broken, which is exactly what we were talking about back in the day that could be quite a challenging thing and maybe maybe 
take the shine off these cars as more and more people blow them up. Maybe not. Maybe they'll be such a durable little thing um, that they'll be great. And, you know, the, the verdict's out at this stage on the Yaris. Great car. How it stacks up as like a 400 horsepower platform may be a well different thing. I'm tipping it, you know, for the first 12 to 18 months, as we said in the Great Seal, it won't be too bad before shit starts to turn to clay and things start to go wrong. Speaking of shit turning to clay, since we last spoke, there has been so much conjecture and so much media over the Plaid Model S, Tesla. Super, super fast. We know this, but there's been... I've just been inundated with stuff in my feed from journalists that should know better and YouTubers that probably don't and never will know better um, saying how Tesla cheated with the 1.99 naught to 60 time. Well, they didn't really cheat when you see that Motor Trend, who are the first people to get their hands on the car, were able to run a 1.98 on their way to a 9.2 something, 9.24, I think it was, at 152-ish, 152.6 mile an hour, quarter mile pass. So what's the problem? Well, the problem was that these times were done at that Bakersfield drag strip. And they were talking about, oh, how the car had to be on a super glue surface, you know, to make it happen. And a Tesla were insistent that this was a requirement or you could get your bat and ball and piss off and go home. You weren't testing our car. Now, there are two ways to look at this. Um, the first one is that the majority of media out there have got no idea what a drag strip is, quite obviously, and don't know how they work and don't know how to run a car down a strip. This seems to be fairly obvious. Anytime you're running a car that's going to be a low nines or an eights car, it's a, it's a darn good idea to have a bit of VHT track bite or a bit of prep on the surface. You know, they were like saying stuff like, oh my God, we walked on the surface and our shoes stuck to it. Yeah, well, haven't you ever been to a drag strip before? That's exactly what happens, right? You know, the track's on when you start to lose your footwear when you walk across the surface. Happened to me many, many, many times in the past and love every minute of it. But, you know, that helped the car do a 145 or 1488, I think I saw a 60 foot time on its way, which is bloody fast on factory delivered street tyres, which are, you know, like a Pilot Sport 4S or something. Not super wide either. I think they're only a 295 at the back. I could be wrong. Don't shoot me. Um, But there's also the downside to that. Like people think, Having a VHT surface just makes you fast. Well, normally it will, particularly if you're on a drag tyre. Now, if that car was running like a a Mickey Thompson ET Street on some light rims, I have no doubt at all that that car, that test car from Tesla, would have done an 8999 something and probably a 1.8560 foot. That's how fast it would have been. But road tyres, treaded road tyres, normally don't work that well on a VHT surface. In fact, when they do spin, they rip all the VHT up. So, you know, you go to a nicely prepped drag strip in your street car with street tyres on it, all the drag guys want to kill you because you just ruin the prep. And normally it it is quite slippery. You don't get the advantage um, from a street tyre of the track bike because it's not designed to work with those sorts of compounds. 
People go, oh yeah, well what about a semi-slick? Well, a semi-slick is a stupid tyre for a drag strip too. Never do it. Many, 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 many times over the years racing Commodores and so on and over the last 20 years, I've seen people use circuit semi-slicks at the drag strip and actually go slower than they would with a cheap road tyre because again, the compound's not designed to work with track bite or any VHT or any prep surface. So a prep surface is designed to work with a drag tyre and that's what makes the whole thing so good, right? Understand that, it is quite, quite simple. But there's also another downside, is that when you are stuck to the track like that, when you do have good traction, depending on how far the, the, the strip is actually prepped, it actually slows you down in your um, trap speed. Because it's like when you use a slick tyre or a competition drag tyre on the dyno, you read less power because of the, the stiction to the roller. You actually, because you're sticking to the track more, it takes more energy to unstick you from the track. And you will generally, you may run a slightly faster ET, but you'll generally run a lower trap. You get me? Because there's more energy and effort required to get the car down the deep end and keep it accelerating once you're all stuck to the track. It's a bit like the old concept of sticking your hand on flypaper and then taking it off again. You'll feel that, you know, you've got to exert energy to do that, whereas you put your, your hand on a sheet of A4 paper, no. So there are many, many arguments and many stupid ones, and most of them, most of them look, uh, I shouldn't say stupid, most of them are valid, but they come from a background of never having actually dragged race or having been to a drag strip. And I'm telling you now, if I have a plaid and I want to experience a nought, you know, to 60 time in 1.9 seconds, I'm not going to be doing it on the street because that's just stupid. And if I want to see how it runs out to over 150 mile an hour, I won't be doing it on the street because that's even more stupid. That's how you end up without a car and in jail and ruin the fun for everyone when they start to ban this stuff. So I think seeing how the plaid reacted on a proper racetrack was a really, really important thing to do. And to me, the results are valid. You know, I'm a Tesla fanboy and a nerd, so take that as you will. Um, and YouTubers, just do a little bit of research into drag racing. You know, it's a sport that's been around for a long time and see how you go with that. Now, there's also the next problem. When you do run that fast on a drag strip, both in America and Australia, with the current rulings under the you know, NHRA and ANDRA, who are the governing bodies, you're going to get the boot. But you don't have a chute, you don't have a roll cage. So that puts owners in a pretty tricky position too. But you're going to get one run at every strip you go to. And, and they may get to the point where they just see a plaid rock up in stock standard road form and go, uh-uh, you're just not running. You're too fast for the track. I mean, it's a pretty cool thing to own a car that's too fast for the track but it's probably not a lot of fun if you want to go for a night out So at the track. So I uh, contacted a friend of mine, a guy called Lance Warren, that owns Heathcote Raceway here in Australia, and he's building a premier, premier sanctioned place uh, over there in, in just outside of Bendigo in Victoria. And I, I said to him, I said, what's going to happen if I rock up your track with a plaid and bunch out like a, a 9192 at over 150 stock car, are you going to boot me? And he said, no, uh, because we're going to run, uh, we're going to develop our own category, because we're an independent, called OEM Performance. And if you're running the car as per factory delivery and you haven't modified it, 
then we're just going to cop that on the chin and you can run. I think that's great. And I think within time, because, you know, most of the drag racing rules were, you know, written for older cars and things that needed safety gear to go that fast, but so are inherently designed to do 30 mile an hour flat out in the first place, not 150. I think that's, you know, I think they're going to come around and get on board. And slowly over the years with, you know, the advent of the GDR, or the R35 and so on, they kind of had to drop this limit anyway, and they've been slowly allowing faster and faster cars. Well, at least in Australia they have, which is a really, really good thing because eventually it's going to get to the point where you can only run old crap at a drag strip, should they not change the rules, and all of the new super-duper hyper stuff, which is, you know, arguably cheaper to buy than it is to build a race car to do those times, we'll have to sit on the sidelines and watch. And, you know, there's a lot of resistance to electric and a lot of resistance to, you know, a rich pricks that can afford piston-powered hypercars. But we're into this thing called automotive fun, technology, diversity, and we should be able to enjoy everything that's out there. Um, one more note before we finish up. Uh, Epicast 1 of Season 2 for today. Um, we're going to look at uh, what our friends in Los Angeles Unplugged Performance are doing. They got hold of a plaid pretty early, and they've got the thing up at Pikes Peak right now doing runs, that, you know, that climb to the clouds or whatever it's called, the hardest, fastest, most dangerous hill climb in the world, and it's a big, long one too. They got their hands on a plaid about a month early by the look of it, and they've caged it and got it all ready, put suspension in it, put a wheel and tyre package on it, put aero on it, put some Dogecoin stickers on it, <laughs> much speed, much wing, much aero, much wow, and uh, they're racing this thing up there this upcoming weekend, you know, I think it's the 26th or something of June, they'll be setting some times up at Pikes Peak, and already they're faster, much faster by hand, well, I think it's 5, 10 seconds already faster than their fastest qualifying time in the Model 3 performance last year. And people would think, yeah, well, the Plaid, it's a heap faster. Yeah, but it's also like a big boat in comparison to a Model 3 performance. It's not a super, well, the Model S as I've driven, apparently the, the Plaid's a lot better. The Model S is like a big super sedan sledgehammer where the Model 3 performance is more like that Yaris where it's smaller, tighter, better all-wheel drive control, better chassis balance, more driftable, da-da-da-da-da. So we got Randy Pobbs back behind the wheel. He he managed to put the car on the fence last year, but uh, you know I don't think he will this year. You can see he's being a little bit more coy with the vehicle, and so he should be. It's a <laughs> it's a lot of money and a lot of effort, and uh, you know I think if you smash a plaid into the wall at Pikes Peak, you're not going to be rebuilding it over the night uh, overnight with a donor car like you wear a Model Three. So you know the whole uh, everyone's holding their breath to see how uh, the Unplugged team are going to go in the plaid. I think they're going to set a new production car record by a long way. They're going to set a new EV production car record by a long way. And they're going to shake um, They're going to shake the establishment really, really hard because this thing is so goddamn fast. And, you know, when you watch YouTube videos of it, all you can hear is the pedestrian and wildlife warning siren. I mean... Here's, here's a pun for you. You don't want to run over and smash any coyotes. And you don't want to smash any mountain lions up there. Get that, Ford and Holden fans. Um, you know, the, the, the siren is annoying as hell. But if you look at the speedo, the GPS um, that they've got on the screen that shows speed can hardly keep up with it. So, yeah, we'll have more on that next Epicast. But, look, I'm back. We're back. 
Range anxiety is here to stay. I don't know how often we're going to do it now. I would like to keep it around twice a week because, you know, I like hearing the sound of my own voice and I think some of you guys and girls out there do too. So thanks for sticking by me. Thanks for all the great messages of support. Let's put this production, this homebrewed production into the top 10 in Australia for automotive epicasts. And remember, send me feedback. You know the address, dtech, D-T-E-C-H, at senet.com.au. And thanks once more for listening to Range Anxiety.